Let's do this. And we are back for our second episode of the DLO podcast. And today I am excited and honored and happy to have my father, the original DLO. Did they ever call you DLO? Yes, yeah, in high school. In high school, they called you DLO. The original. The original. So obviously, my dad, he just turned 70. Uh, it was August 6th of last year, and I am turning 45 tomorrow. So. I wanted to have my dad on a podcast with me and talk about his beginnings and um, kind of cultivate where um, you know I got into the industry because of him and watching him as a kid and, and doing all that sort of stuff. So, Dad, tell me or tell our listeners here um, where were where were you born and how long did you stay out there? I was born in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, then we moved to New Jersey when I was about. Uh, seven years old so basically grew up in part part New York and part New Jersey gotcha and when uh, <clears throat> basically you have two sisters right my aunts right and then um, <clears throat> your grandparents were they were they pretty involved in your life uh, in New York when you're out there yeah grandparents on both sides they were it's a typical Italian family and where were they originally from um, well, I'm half Sicilian and half Navadathan, Naples, so that's, they were from Italy. They were from Italy, so I would be, what, your second generation off the boat, and I'm probably third, I guess that would be, um, pretty close to that. So what were, uh, what were your parents like, and, and, and what did they do for work, or, you know? Well, my father's name was Guido, he went by Ed. Um, served in World War II, they took him out of high school. In other words, he didn't even get to graduate. And his two brothers um, <clears throat> also were in World War II with him. They were all in the Navy. In fact, one of my uncles, his ship went down, and my other uncle's ship, they actually got, got him out of the water. And that was, uh, yeah, World War II, uh, they were fighting the Japanese, so. And then when he got back from the war, did he, have a well he he took um he went to to school to learn drafting and um he was a salesman basically that's what he was all his life and he was selling uh kitchen equipment for restaurants and bars but where he had an advantage is for example i remember when i was a little boy he took me to the tavern on the green in, in new york and they were you know he was trying to sell equipment but he could sit there with the chef and draw, okay, you know, how the chef wanted the kitchen or whatever, uh, where a lot of these other salesmen couldn't, couldn't do that. So that was uh, kind of an advantage he had, but, and he always wanted to own his own restaurant, and uh, he did. He, Tavern on the Green uh, in New Jersey, um, I believe that was the name, that probably wasn't the name of it. Uh, it'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. But anyway, they had, um, downstairs is where the Kiwanis Club met, and then there was the next floor, is they had their big bar and restaurant and everything, and then the top floor was for weddings, uh, bar mitzvahs, et cetera, because back east, that's they would rent a hall, and that's what they had up there. And uh, so anyway, he was in the restaurant business until he passed away. Um, 
What, what were some of the things he told you about the restaurant business? Well, basically, um, you know, you, you're, they're going to steal from you. It's just a matter of how much, right. you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, business was, was, I tell you, I respect people that are in this business because it's pretty damn tough on them. I mean, he worked his butt off. Um, yeah. And we're not talking, we're not talking 40 hours a week. I mean, just unbelievable. The work that's put into that, just totally unbelievable. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I didn't get to have many memories with, with Grandpa, but uh, I do remember him. Um, so how old were you when, you when you ended up leaving New York and you went to Colorado for college, right? Yeah, I went to, um, I got recruited uh, by a number of schools to play football. So I went to Colorado State University, graduated from there with a, a degree in business. In 1971, I was Mr. Colorado twice. They had two different um, uh, associations on there. And I always had a dream of, uh, when I was a little kid, looking at a globe, looking at, you can think this is crazy, um, Australia or Arizona. For some reason, Alaska is not in there. But anyway, I sent resumes out um, to run a health club, got a job in Arizona doing it, didn't like it. For the simple reason, it was uh, that just pressure sales. I'm, that's not me. Don't. You know, I thought I was going to be in there to help people, but yeah. anyway. Um, so so I, end, I ended up with a job with uh, Allstate. Yeah. So so going back, you were in Colorado. You obviously you met my mom there, and then you guys ended up coming out to to Arizona. Um, and when he says Mr. Colorado, he he's talking about in in bodybuilding. He did uh, uh, bodybuilding back then, and and he still does it now, which is pretty remarkable in itself. But he was Mr. Colorado twice out there. Um, so you moved to Arizona. You you went and you didn't want to do the health club thing. You were obviously going to do something in sales um, with already that inherent background of our of our grandparents or whatever, and. You got a job with Allstate. So tell me, how long was your career there, and, and, and what was that like back in the, I guess that would be the late 70s, early 80s, working for a direct writer? Well, I was with Allstate uh, from, uh, let's say I started out in 1972, February, and left them May of 1988 to open up the Ambassador Group. And um, the big reason I did that is, heck, I was 38 at the time. I was one of Allstate's bigger producers. Uh, and, um, you know, leaving them, there was a non-compete clause. So pretty scary because, you know, that's 16 and a half years I'm, I'm leaving behind and I can't touch for two years. But at that age, I just figured, you know, if there's only one company and rates go up and all insurance companies have rate increases, who's kidding who? Well, all I can do is get on my on top of my desk and do a tap dance for my clients. But you can do a tap dance for just so long as rates keep going up. So I chose to be an independent broker because this way I can deal with many companies. So one company may be good for a certain amount of years, five or six or three, and then they get stupid. Maybe they had a lot of losses or whatever, and boy, their rates just skyrocket. We don't have to lose the client. We can go ahead and reshop it and look, you know, for another company to put it in. So, it was worth the risk, and it's uh, paying off in deuces now because a lot of direct writers, um, I, 
have left. They're okay. becoming, yeah, becoming dinosaurs. Well, if you notice, look at, um, who was it? Allied got rid of all of their agents, and Allied is owned by um, Nationwide. Yeah. You know, so there's fewer, fewer and fewer direct uh, direct uh, writers because you can't survive with one company, in my yeah. opinion. So you made a you made a obviously a conscious business choice back in there being at Allstate for what was it eleven years? How long were you there? Sixteen and a half 16 years. Sixteen and a half years, and you were their top producer in your territory for thirteen of those years, or um, in the in the state, yeah, territory the whole yeah. bit. And I was a, their so-called agent of the year, uh, fourteen out of fourteen years. You'd, you'd pretty much hit a ceiling with them, and and like you said, there was only a certain amount of options that you had really being one and so with that being said you were like okay let's start a new business and you started ambassador group and obviously um, that you know is where we're at now in this you know time and day that you still own you know and we own together and it's awesome um, how when you first started ambassador group I, I think wasn't the first office when I was a kid playing around wasn't it off of uh, Scottsdale and Shea there yeah Yes, it yeah, was, so, right. So it's an area in Arizona. It's Old Town Scottsdale, which I believe back in the day there was, like, after after Shea, there wasn't much of anything really built up um, north of that. I think there was a little bit, right? Yeah, they started building in that area seriously in the 70s. Yeah. And, and before Ambassador Group started, or maybe even venturing into that, did you used to have, um, how did you get business? Let's just say back in Allstate, when you first started, what, what, what was your means of getting business back then? What was your method? Just knock doors. You would actually walk to a house and knock on the door? Yeah. And what would you say to them? Just tell them, uh, you know, I'm with uh, Allstate Insurance Company. Um, you know, if you can let me know when your homeowners is coming to or auto, maybe I can save you some money. It just sounds crazy in this day and age. It's yeah, like, I still have, uh, that's 47 years ago, I still have clients on the books that I've written 47 years ago, plus their children, their children, their children's children. Yeah. It's pretty, I got, got them knocking doors. It's pretty remarkable. If you were to um, ask somebody to go knock on doors nowadays, people are scared to get shot or, you know, told <laughs> Believe. Well, I'll give you an example. Had a kid here knocking doors for uh, uh, Anderson Windows. And uh, basically, he ended up with a nice deal because uh, me and my wife were talking about having a, um, some of the windows redone, especially in the front of the house, because of the noise factor. It was only single pane. So he got a deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and didn't you also back then have... Uh, what was called microfiche because we didn't have internet. Well, back, then, back right? then, no. When it first started, we had uh, tear out cards. Uh, we tear them out and you put them in little files. It tells you any changes that were made or whatever. And we get those uh, twice a week and then have to get rid of the other ones and we put them in there and then we have to carry them around <laughs> on there. So when microfiche came out, I mean, you thought it was from God. Unfrickin' believable. I mean, heck, you just get these little things twice a, twice a week, and everything is on. You didn't have to perforate cards or whatever. It's a miracle. And then the computer came, and it, you know, a big thick thing, and you can rate real slowly. You know, one company, um, and then you know, as computerism progressed, you know, same yeah. thing with cell phones. What they can do with it, because uh, again when we didn't have cell phones, 
basically, um, you know, we drove to appointments and if um, you got lost, you had to find a payphone. <laughs> Some people wow. don't know what payphones are because they're not around anymore. Yeah. So you'd have to find a payphone and know there were no tracking devices that you have on which you know on your phone that you tells yeah. you how to get through or whatever no 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 you get directions from the client and yeah make a left here three rights forward you know we're only yeah. talking the 80s people this is not that long ago either which is absolutely crazy and and i know that when you would write contracts wouldn't you have like three different forms one you'd tear out have to give well, yeah. the company one for your records and one for them and it was yeah yeah that's just there's no such thing as docusign uh, on the computer there's no such thing as e really email yeah there was no email and then we'd have like an old copy you know a copy machine the old day type thing you put it in there you know, one sheet at a time type of thing. Um, wow. Has your sales method over the years changed at all? Or have you always just been just straight out, this is what I do and I can I can offer you the best service and, and, and shop around for no, you? No, you have to change or, or else you die. You yeah. know, then you become a dinosaur as far as uh, the reasoning for selling and taking care of clients. No, that part hasn't changed. You wanted, you know, integrity is important. I know it sounds like everybody's going to say, well, yeah, it is. And to be honest with you, we'll walk away from it. I'll yeah. tell you, I will. You know, if a client, you know, doesn't want to take the, in my opinion, the correct coverage, and it's quite obvious, uh, no, you know, hey, let's be friends. Maybe we can't do business now. Let's be friends, and I'm walking. Because I don't want something to happen, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting sued. Yeah, because because a client, a lot. Of, oh, I, I forgot about that or whatever. No, no, don't need it. Be covered properly, or and, and probably more times than not, by doing that, you've had you've had clients and and, and people of the such come back to you six months, a year, two years down the road. That I, like, I've had it happen where a client lists, you know, uh, uninsured, underinsured motors. No, I can't sell a policy without it and matching limits. You know, well. You know, one one of the clients said, "I don't want the coverage." I said, "Well, nothing I can do about it." She went somewhere else, and guess what? You know, uh, came back to me a couple of years later, but told me about the accident she had. You know, and it was with an uninsured driver, yeah. and uh, it ended up costing her, okay, about thirty grand because the guy who hit her didn't have a blank to blank in. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's tough. Have you um? Have you uh, basically seen? Well, I, I guess tell tell us or tell the listeners what you have seen as far as increases in in auto and, and home prices. You know, just on a on a median basis. Like, what, what was the average home policy back in nineteen eighty? Oh God, you know, we, we back in the um, remember knocking doors in the seventies for homeowners. The policies were thirty nine dollars. <laughs> $59 wow. for full homeowners policies. So when I went through a neighborhood, I remember one neighborhood, hell, I made, uh, God, almost 50 sales. So And, and houses were, what, 60, 100,000 yeah, maybe back then? No, they were lower than that. Yeah. Um, my, my first house I got in Scottsdale was a swimming pool. And, um, God, that was like around 1973 or four. Paid twenty seven thousand five hundred for it, and it was in, you know, Scottsdale. Uh, had a swimming pool. Um, 
you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that house today would probably go for, uh, and it's on the south side of Scottsdale. I would say for over three hundred. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Things uh, definitely they definitely change over the years, and, and auto rates as well. And and I'm sure you've seen with the more expensive cars and the texting and driving and and all the stuff that happens in this day and age, just a lot. A lot heavier types of claims and a lot more damages and and you know a lot more people getting sued for stuff. Well, unfortunately, <clears throat> Arizona they do need some tort reform, but when the problem comes in, most of the politicians are attorneys. So, you know, I mean, yeah, we need some tort reform. When um, when you had originally got left the health club and you kind of going back and you got back into insurance or you got into insurance, did you ever think you would ever leave insurance or was it just one of those things that you just started doing and that you you knew from that time on that that was going to be your end all be all? End all be all. You know, I, there were a couple other things I thought I'd take a crack at on the side, but you know, Guido told me something a long time ago. Don't, don't be a jack of all trades. Be a master of one. Yeah. And um, that that makes sense. You know, if you go out there and try and do too many things, you're just not going to be the best you can be. My personal opinion. What What's been your over the years? Has your workday changed at all? Are you Are you pretty much just a? Well, know? when I started out, and probably for about the first. 20 years, I mean, I had two appointments a night. I, yeah, honest to God. I worked Saturdays, tried not to work on Sundays, but that might happen too, and that's ridiculous. I, I agree. Um, but basically, in the 80s, there wasn't as many appointments, but again, computerization got better. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's changed. It hasn't changed the work ethic. It's just that I could do a hell of a lot more uh, with a lot less effort as opposed to what we did in the past. In the past, you know, realistically, I was working 70 hours a week, probably more in some cases. Now, I'll work 35 hours. So you're, you're a fan of technology, it would be wise to say. What, as far like other agents that are your age, this day and age, that are still working, um, do you have advice for them on, on how to, you know, keep hanging in there? Well, just... Do, do what you do, make, make sure you understand the technology and use it, or else you're a dinosaur. You yeah. know, it's just a matter of time. I mean, I had a good buddy of mine, and he said he's passed away, but old George, he just, um, you know, he just didn't even know how to work a computer or whatever. You know, it's, yeah. it's you, you, you're done. Yeah, it just uh, you gotta you gotta move with the times one way or the other. And I know you're on Facebook and you do a lot on the computer and you, you do all of your own work still. And I know that you know age is really just a number nowadays. I'm I'm starting to, to think that and feel that myself. And it's just if you don't if you don't use it, you end up losing it. And you know that's no way to, in my opinion, be no way to to really live in that in that essence. Um, so what would you say frustrates you the most about the insurance industry in general or, or even owning a business? The lack of loyalty for most insurance companies. Um, you know, I'm starting to get it now. Um, you know, for example, you have a company that you've done business with, and, and I mean all agencies, not just, you know, for years and years and years. Um, 
given them what they wanted, uh, done a hell of a great job. And then um, years later, okay, and you're still writing <clears throat> for the company, you, you get a letter. Hey, by the way, your, your commissions are, are cut by 33% right. or whatever. You know, that's what a, not even somebody coming out or coming in, and this is to all, you know, agencies that are out there. So it kind of makes you think, and, and it's true, that's why I'm glad I'm an independent. Never, never put all your eggs in, in one basket. Yeah. You know? Which means never, never, my personal opinion, shop with somebody who only has one company. Yeah, right. I, I mean, our our job as brokers is to find the best coverage and the you know obviously for the best price out there and to be able to have all the tools that we have. I know on the restaurant end, I, I have a multitude of of tools of of contracts of of relationships that we've been you know obviously we've earned and we've been blessed with. But um, having that is is why people have us and it's and it's us to have the knowledge you know you and your 40 plus years of you know home and auto and and knowing and and having seen probably any and every claim known to man um which you know speaking of which what what are some of the craziest claims that you've seen or some of the stuff that you um you know people thought was covered but wasn't you know due to lack of insufficient well just typical stuff like for example uh, someone hits a deer or an elk which we've had happen, or even a what kind of uh, more, you know, that's comprehensive. It's not collision. Okay, um, just trying to think. There's uh, other examples. Tell me about flood coverage. How most people don't have it, especially in Arizona. And yeah, most people don't have flood insurance. Uh, it is no matter what insurance company you go to, the rates are all the same because it's. Uh, it's done by the federal government, um, but if you're not in the flood zone, you know I wouldn't, yeah. re wouldn't recommend buying it. Um, um, any crazy personal, like not personal, you, but like claims that you've seen that you can't believe had had ever happened? Well, um, not really. But another one would be where where people get really irate or confused is let's say you have a windstorm or a heavy rainstorm, and you've got and you. Well, you've got a tree in your backyard and it goes down and it goes into the neighbor's roof. Guess what? Okay, you're not responsible for it even though it was your tree because it was an act of God. I've had that come up a number of times and people really get upset. But yeah. it's on every insurance uh, policy. For example, I had one where a shed that was, was taken up in the air and blown into another house. Okay, well, again, the damage done to the other house yeah, it's crazy. isn't covered, okay, because it's an act of God, but yet um, the loss of the shed is covered on that person's homeowner's policy because it's, you know, so many. other structures on, on the dwelling. Yeah, so there's so many different things within policy form and the types of policies that you buy and, and what could or could happen. Well, there's there's other things too, like with cars, you know, the joke game. Uh, most companies cover uh, OEM parts if you add it on there, okay? But on glass, they won't do it OEM in many cases, 90-something percent of the companies. And the reason for it is is that you have a Mercedes, okay, let's say a new one, 
All right, that Mercedes, I'm, I'm doing, I don't know the exact amounts, but for an example, that Mercedes window is not made by Mercedes. It's made by a certain glass company, and that thing costs $500, let's say. Okay, but because the dealership puts on Mercedes sticker on there, okay, now it's $1,500. And the insurance company is saying, hey, you know, we're going to put the same windshield on there from the same manufacturer, okay, uh, but we're not going to put a little Mercedes on there and charge, you know, the yeah. insurance company so much more. But that's going on, and, you know, and what you got to be careful on that is if any of you out there have uh, a lease car, okay, and then you go to bring it, uh, go to bring it back in, and it doesn't have the Mercedes sticker on it, they're going to charge you. Wow. So it's kind of like a catch-22. Yeah. So I try, or we try and at least let our clients know that you can't catch them all. You know. Yeah, that's uh, every, the the uh, details are in the contract for sure. That's yeah, that's crazy. So there, there, there's just a lot of stuff that goes along with insurance, and and with experience, you get to be better and better of of learning what's you know included, excluded, all that sort of stuff. And, and again, it's another great reason why people count on us as brokers and owning a brokerage and, and working with the different companies and learning all the different policy forms best that you know we, we can, obviously. And having the relationships with the companies too, that if, if shit does hit the fan, we can pick up the phone and we can make those phone calls and, and knowing you know that we've been around for so long that they'll, they'll take it and they'll take it seriously. Um, so, Dad, how did you feel about me getting into the business, or did you ever think that I, I would get into the business after I started doing all that stuff with Warner Brothers in, in, in college? Yeah, I thought you would. Yeah? You know, I, I thought you would, and as, as the record industry went bye-bye because of computerism and all that other good stuff, then you started with this, but you did basically what you did when you had that company with Diamond one of in the Rough, Diamond in the Rough yeah. is you uh, target marketed. You like the restaurant and the bar end of it, you know, and I like the uh, personal lines part of it. Yeah. But what you did is you target marketed and, um, you know, in doing so, trying to make yourself an expert in that particular field of insurance. Yeah, and that uh, that definitely was a leap of faith because when I had first gotten in and we were at that one location together, um, I was writing any and everything. And I also think it's interesting for people to to know that when I did come and work with you, I was literally working for somebody else, let alone myself, and I never got a salary. I, I worked, I remember my first paycheck was... Like $167 and I was running my other business, Diamond in the Rough, on the side and then you know, you were working your ass off and doing all the stuff that you need to do to, to fund the company and do the stuff that we did. And through many reiterations of Ambassador Group, it finally had come to a point where it was better off being you know, a father and son entity with some really good people that we've had involved for the last, you know, 19 years, up to 19 years. And so here we are sitting here today um, with a really nice uh, business. And, you know, you're still in there working every day. You're one of the first ones in, one of the last ones to leave. I know that you also like to work out during the day, which makes me happy because, you know, you're, you're healthy and you're good. I was just looking at your blood results and those all look amazing. So tell... Um, tell them a little bit about your hobbies and some of the stuff you like to do when you're when you're not working. 
sometimes I like to sit around and not do a damn thing. Okay, my hobbies are uh, competitive bodybuilding. I still enjoy it, love it. Um, meet every day from 12 to 1 with me, uh, trainer Ernie, and uh, a couple other guys. Uh, I'm, I'll be 71. Ernie's in his 60s. Mike's in his 50s. And we got another gentleman in his 40s, and we all work together. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, one, what's kind of nice about it, I leave the office, and when you're there, you're like in another world. And um, when you get done working out, the endorphins hit your brain, and, man, a lot of that stress is gone. And then you go back, because we all have it, where you got this one client you're dreading, you got to talk to, whatever. Then you come back feeling good, positive mood, and... It's amazing. Yeah, and you've been doing that for the last 10 years straight in in between other aspects of your life or whatever, and I know you love doing your shows. You do great in it, and, uh, you know, the people love you, um, you know, the way that you do it. I, I would say your relation. I've learned a lot from you over the years as far as creating relationships and being, you know, loyal and, and, and ethical and always wanting to do the right thing, but but if anything, I, I see a trend going on with my clients that are now with me for you know now 15 years and, and going on 16 17 years and stuff like that and and it's neat because I learned a lot of that from you I learned a lot from sitting in the back of the of the storage closet playing with my Millennium Falcon while you were on the phone with the with clients and always hearing you talk to them and and it's definitely a great joy to you know hear me still talk to, to them every day I'll sometimes put my my ear to the door and, and just listen to you because you still are for sure on top of your game. So I, I know we had a, a little bit of a talk last year regarding the possibility of you finding something else to do, but I, I have a feeling that, you know, with some of the stuff that we've done already this year and, and part of last year that you kind of have a new a new zest in you. Any any future ideas of, of plans or anything that you, that you want to do? No, just keep it going the way it is. Okay. Well, cool. Is it, you have any, before we head off on, on this podcast here today, do you have anything else to say to all the, the listeners and the people? And No, just, you know, be positive. Uh, go out there and get it. So I can tell you, and it's there. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you guys for, for all listening. It, it's a, it's awesome to be able to have my dad on here, and he is my first guest podcast ever. This is my second podcast, and thank you all for listening to the first one if you did. If you did not, please you know go back and, and check that out. I'll be interviewing some upcoming you know chefs and, and restaurateurs and, and other people um, in regards to the hospitality industry and, and, and probably some other types of vendors and stuff like that that have to do with the restaurant industry and, and also the insurance industry and, and talk about some crazy claims that I've seen on the, the liquor liability and the assault and battery into things. So got a lot of cool stuff coming up. I am on iTunes now and Spotify and all sorts of stuff. So definitely, you know, follow me there if you can. Yes. I remember the name of Grandpa's restaurant. Oh. The Dayton Manor. The Dayton Manor. Yeah, Grossinger's and Tavern on the Green, those were two restaurants, I believe, in New York. Yeah. And my father, I remember him driving me to one of them, and that was Grossinger's. Or and the Dayton Manor, was that in uh, New Jersey? Uh, the Dayton Manor was in New Jersey, correct. Okay. Yeah, and Tavern on the Green is still there. Kim and I and the boys, or Matthew, we took Matthew to New York 
last year, June, we went to Tavern on the Green. Oh, it's still? It's still oh. there. It's it's on the green. And right. it's, I remember. I, I was like 16, and I yeah. drove down with my father. Yep. Yeah, they had some pretty decent food. So, all right, well, good. See, it, it always comes back, and, uh, and and it's all good. So thank you again for listening. Please give, us, give me a five-star, and uh, please follow, and um, that's about it. So we will talk to you soon, and peace out.